good to be with you. And uh, I found it interesting to be reminded of uh, Richard Johnson uh, being the first chaplain to the penal colony of New South Wales and thought there's a word of encouragement to Jesse in it uh, a bit obliquely. Uh, the first thing is he was sent by William Wilberforce and all that gang who did so much in England to change the shape of English society. But the word of encouragement to Jesse was that the first chaplain to New South Wales had the wonderfully supportive experience of the convicts burning down his first church. So I'm not sure what that means about new beginnings and new places, but there you go. Well, you'll find the... Um, is that right? You'll find the psalm is printed in the bulletin if that's handy or if you still have your Bibles open, um, that might help you. It's a very short psalm, isn't it? If you look at the heading, Psalm 123, A Song of Ascents. Well, I thought that probably I could come up with a title for us tonight. Um, perhaps it's the psalm that should be titled When Things Go Belly Up or the psalm for... Uh, I'm feeling under the pump. Did you notice as you look at the psalm that it begins with one person, I. I lift up my eyes to you. And then if you scan down to the end of verse 2, you can see that the voice of the individual, the I, becomes the community's voice. Our eyes look to you. And so we read, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Our eyes there tell us that this is a prayer. It's a prayer about community needs when they're feeling well and truly under the pump. In the book of Psalms, which was really the hymn book, the song book of ancient Israel, uh, this prayer was placed with the pilgrim songs, the songs that the pilgrims made as they were making their way up to the temple in Jerusalem, sang to encourage them. And uh, when you're going to Jerusalem, no matter which you are, way you approach it, you climb up to it from whichever side. And so it is that Psalm 121, if you go back just a couple of Psalms, begins, I lift my eyes to the hills. And that's natural, as the pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem, they looked up to Jerusalem. But Psalm 123 is a correction and a reminder to them. And the reminder is that we need to look past any symbolic place where God is said to be found, to look to where God actually is and God himself. I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne in this is in heaven. So let me unpack the psalm a little bit so we might better see what the Lord might want to have us take home from it. Verse 2, we look to the Lord our God as the eyes of a slave to master, as a female slave to her mistress. Now, there's something for us to know about slavery in the Old Testament and in ancient Israel. The first thing is that they had 
uh, limited rights and freedoms, just as much as being a slave meant that they had obligations and responsibilities. But their relationship with their masters and mistresses, even as slaves, involved their masters and mistresses having obligations and responsibilities towards them as well. And so, as we read the psalm, it's reflecting the Old Testament expectation that the relationship where servants serve was also a relationship where masters provided and protect. So in the Psalms we have slaves looking to master and mistress to provide for them and to act on their behalf. And just so we don't miss the point, if we look at verse 3 about slaves and masters, the general truth, it makes plain that the direct plea that's being made is to God. So we read, have mercy on us, Lord. And they tell us of the united request, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Well, I guess as we read it, there pops up a question, doesn't it? Why were they looking for mercy? What caused their need for mercy? In verse 4, the answer is given, we have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt for the proud. Throughout history, the arrogant and the proud looked down on little Judah, the community of God's people. And it, through history, wasn't just the empires of Assyria or Babylon or Persia, but they had more local opponents too. And we can read about them Uh, in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah and Ezra were rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon, we read that there were some local characters who poured contempt on them. uh, There was Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab. Says Nehemiah, they mocked and ridiculed us. That was a particular time of much contempt and ridicule. Well, that contempt was made much worse then and through history because the problem wasn't merely that the community of God's people were being ridiculed and held in contempt, but because God himself is being scorned. And we can get a feel for that in Psalm 94 when we read in the first couple of verses there. We can appreciate what they felt as their close connection between themselves and his and God and his people. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back the proud for what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see the God of Jacob takes no notice. It's good for us to notice that when we come to the end of our psalm tonight, just those four verses, that at the end of our psalm, the situation of God's people is that they are looking to their suffering and to their torment. The community of God's people are longing for him to act on their behalf. Okay, so that was then, 
and this is now. What are we going to take home tonight from the psalm? Well, I think there are a couple of things. The first is we need to notice the way it begins. And what I think happens is this, that as you can imagine the band of pilgrims on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, and as they're going up to Jerusalem, there's a leader, someone who steps forward, the I of verse 1. Perhaps that person was someone who had their relationship with God the right way up. And so the, uh, the leader is saying, in those simple words, I, listen you guys, your eyes are focused on the wrong thing, or more exactly, the wrong people. You yourselves and the jeerers are who you're looking at, instead of the right person. You're looking in the wrong direction. Redirect your eyes. And so the leader is challenging the community of God's people by being personal. I lift my eyes to you whose throne is in heaven. Eyes that could only see suffering were redirected to heaven. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. Um, as a nation, we're not in a particularly happy place at the moment, are we? Drought and fires and terrible things happening to people. Bad things happening to good people who don't deserve it. The big focus is on the terrible things that are happening. If there are dark things happening in your life, perhaps it's those things that you're focusing on. I don't know. But here's a direction from this leader. When he says, when eyes can only see, looking to the catastrophes around us, redirect those eyes to heaven. Because... God is enthroned in heaven. Now, I don't know what you think about heaven, but here's something for you to discuss with Jesse. I just want to say, heaven isn't where we go when we die. Our eternal life will be in God's new heavens and new earth, his new creation. Because heaven is God's space. It's where God rules from. Perhaps a happy, uh, helpful way of thinking about him is that it's God's head office. Well, there's God enthroned in the heavens. What we need to know, though, is that that does not mean that God is remote. It doesn't mean that God isn't involved in his world as sovereign creator. God doesn't intervene in his world. He's not a God who's locked the door of the office so he won't be bothered or disturbed. The identification earlier on with slaves and masters and mistresses tells us about dependence as a right and proper thing. Just as we can be dependent, we are dependent on the one who is obliged to help us, who voluntarily helps us, who cares. So looking to God is a very familiar pattern in the Psalms. As you read the Psalms, you'll find 
In Psalm 145, for example, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And in Psalm 104, we read, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. The encouragement to look up is interestingly the way that Jesus started his model prayer when he, excuse me, when he taught his disciples how to, how to pray. What we know is the Lord's Prayer, we probably should call more correctly the disciples' prayer. It's for us to know how to pray. But here's the encouragement for Psalm, from Psalm 123 about the Lord's Prayer. It reminds us not to be too familiar with the first words and so miss their importance. The psalmist says, I look to, I look to you enthroned in heaven. Jesus says, how should you pray when you begin? Our Father in heaven. Looking upwards is always the way to go, says our godly leader. Well, it's still, um, January's gone, but it's still early in the new year and school has begun. Just. What does the godly person's example have to say for us in the early part of the year, what we've got in front of us? Well, how about seeing that there might well be times when we can be that person. The person who steps up to lead by challenging. When we can challenge perhaps a friend, someone that we're close to, or perhaps our growth group or gospel group that uh, Jesse's wanting to get going and some exist already. Perhaps if you're brave, even the annual general meeting. Challenging to look up to the one who sits enthroned in heaven, to look past what's going on. Well, as challenging perhaps someone else or even a group of people, I think the I, the leader is challenging us to look to ourselves to be challenged. When things become tough going for us, and that can be a whole range of things, can't it? Perhaps when things are really black. Perhaps when we can't sleep because of anxiety. Perhaps when we're sick with worry for ourselves or for people we love. Perhaps when we're at the end of our rope. The psalmist is saying, where are you looking? Or more importantly, remembering it's not where, but to whom are you looking? Are you looking to the one whose throne is in heaven? That reading from Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that Jesus for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
sat down at the right hand of the, front of the throne of the Father. And in that same letter earlier on in chapter 2, we're taught this about Jesus. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know about you, but my experience is that it's never difficult, is it, to feel the pain of being in an all-wrong place, whether it's fair or unfair. We can feel that situation well enough. The difficult thing is seeing beyond it. My guess is that this psalm, prayer, song, was included in the Songs of Ascent in the hymn book of ancient Israel because the community of God's ancient people, just like us today, need to sing the truth, need to be reminded of where we need to look, to be reminded that we all need to look more often than not to the one enthroned in heaven. For the psalmist, it was God, Yahweh, whom we know as the Father, and at the right hand of the Father is Jesus, whose experience means that he understands absolutely and completely through his life and his death and his resurrection what confronts us. So I need to ask you, are you following the advice of the letter to the Hebrews, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what follows from that is the need for an important habit. Let us live approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Where are you looking? To the one in the throne in